Hey, welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Sam Silvius. I'm the family discipleship pastor. Pastor Darren, our senior pastor, is traveling this week. And so um, I'm here to, to fill some big shoes uh, for him. So um, I'm excited to be with you this morning. I think God has a word for us. Um, and um, this, the word that he has for us this morning is not out of the book of Ephesians. Um, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we've been um, going through the book of Ephesians, uh, very detailed, uh, looking at, at um, all of these verses really, really closely and hearing some really great teaching from Pastor Darren. We're taking a break from that for the next month, um, and so uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Pastor Darren asked me to tell you a little bit about um, family discipleship. Um, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, we made the decision uh, to move away from some segregated ministries of kids, uh, students, and adults, and into uh, one department that we call family discipleship. Discipleship, And so uh, Pastor Darren asked me to share a little bit with you about why, what that looks like, um, and, and really the whole uh, purpose for doing that. And so um, I'm excited to do that with you this morning. Uh, we're going to look at a passage um, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, but um, as you're finding that, uh, I just want to... Uh, kind of illustrate for you. I think there's a, a great illustration that God gave me uh, about why we do family ministry, why we have family discipleship, what the purpose of that is. And, and so um, it, it really came from my family. Uh, my family uh, is, uh, we have, there's six of us in my family. My wife and I, we've been married almost 14 years. Um, and we have four children. The oldest is almost 12. The youngest is almost six um, and uh, we've been in this church almost 13 years, uh, and our kids have grown up here. Um, and one of the things that we love to do as a family, we're not originally from here, we're from Kansas. And being from Kansas, um, in the summertime, you typically will either go to the lake or stay inside where there's air conditioning, because it's 90% relative humidity, 90 to 100 plus degrees. And so we grew up in Kansas, so that's what we did in the summer. And when we moved to Colorado, we discovered a new thing that our family loves to do, and that is um, camping. We love to go to the, mountain, to the mountains and go camping. We discovered this a, a couple of years ago, and our family has just kind of fallen in love with it. And, and as I analyzed this, like, okay, what do we love about it? What's, what, why do we love this? Why is it so great? What I, what I kind of realized is that the reason we love to go to the mountains is because, one, they're incredible, they're gorgeous, um, and we're so blessed to live here and not in Kansas where it's flat. Um, if you're from Kansas and visiting this morning, I'm sorry, we'll pray for you. Um, <clears throat> but we, we're so blessed uh, to get to go explore God's creation and, and all of these things. Um, but really, the reason that we really love to go to the mountains is because it is such a change of pace from our everyday lives. Our lives are so busy. We have four kids in three different schools. We have kids on the autism spectrum that have all kinds of, of special requirements uh, that, we, that we go through every day. It's just part of our normal lives. Um, my wife started working uh, outside of the home again for the first time in a long time this year. That's a big change for us. And our lives are crazy, just crazy busy. There's so many things that come at us all the time that try and grab our attention uh, and, and steal our joy in that, that we love to go to the mountains because in the mountains... There's no cell phones. And in the mountains, there's no appointments. And in the mountains, there's no homework, right? And in the mountains, man, we go to the mountains to get away and to reconnect. And more than anything else, what we love about the mountains is our family is bound together there. We're united there. We do everything together when we're in the mountains. I mean, it's just one little tent. So there's not a lot of space for us to, you know, spread out and go away. So, but we're stuck together and we, we do everything together. We explore together and we cook together and we play together. Uh, and, and it's just, it's a, a beautiful, wonderful time of our family uh, coming together and being 
reunited, and it reminds us of what's really important. It's become kind of an anchor for us, that we try to get away to the mountains on a fairly regular basis because it's an anchor that reminds us of what really matters, what's really important in everyday life. And here's the thing. Some of us treat our relationship with God the way that my family and I treat camping, that camping is this thing that we go do so that we can be close. And it's like we go up on the mountain to get close to God. And, and, and for some of us, that's how we live our lives. They're compartmentalized. And we have our, our church life, and we have our home life, and we have our work life, and we have our, uh, our family life, and all those things are separate and disconnected. But what I think God wants for us is to have one life that revolves around him, where he is the center, and he is Lord of all, and he wants us to live on the mountain all the time. You know, this last time when we were camping, my son Wesley's five years old at the time, almost six now. He came up to me and he goes, Dad, just with the most serious straight face look, he goes, Dad, I said, yes, Wesley. He goes, can we live on the mountain forever? And I thought, oh, buddy, I wish we could. Man, I wish we could. But here's the truth. On the mountain of God, we can live there forever. We can stay in that place. We can stay connected to him. We can be in relationship with him in every aspect of our lives. And while my family can't do that every day, all the time, we have school and we have work and responsibilities and chores and homework and things that we have to come back to in real life. With God, we can. And he wants to be Lord over all of that and in all of that. And so uh, let's turn to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me explain to you what's going on. Here, uh, Moses and the Israelites, they've been wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness uh, for a long time, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And this is going to be a big change for them because they're going from being, you know, kind of wandering in, in the desert with God providing them manna and quail and, and, and all of this, you know, stuff that was happening uh, to them in that season. And they're getting ready to cross over and go into the promised land. And Moses and God both know that their lives are going to change dramatically with this transition, that it's going to be different. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. There's going to be new challenges, new things to overcome. And so as they're getting ready to make that transition, God instructs Moses to write down these instructions because he wants them to remember these things going into that season. He wants them to remember what's really important, what really matters, and not forget these things when they go into this next season. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what we find Moses has written down starting in verse 4. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now I want to pause right there. This passage uh, is, is famous. This passage is called the Shema. And in uh, Jewish circles, this is part of a daily prayer that is said several times a day. This hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They recite this over and over and over again so they don't forget it. It's part of their rituals. It's part of their prayers. It's hugely important because this is our God, right? Our God is one God. He's the one true God. This is the God that we serve. But it's tempting to get caught up in the knowledge and forget the point. Because remember, Moses wrote this so they wouldn't forget. And look at this last sentence. He says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Not in your head. Not things that you know. It's not a test. They're to be on your heart. They're to be who you are. Part of your identity. You are the people who love God. You are the people who follow God. You are the people who do what God commands. That's what Moses was getting at. This is who you are. This is your identity. 
And it was critical that these guys know that going in. And it's critical for us to understand that today. That what God calls us to is not a religion. What God calls us to is not moral practice. What he calls us to is a new identity that is defined by this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And Jesus said that is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. This is who we are. But if we miss this. It's tempting to go to the next section and go, hey, here's a list of stuff to do. Pull up the next verse. In verse 7, he goes on to say this. You shall teach these commands diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Right? And this is our tendency. We, we go, oh, look, a list. Yes. Anybody love lists? Where are my list lovers, right? My type A's? Come on, where you at? My productivity gurus, right? We love lists because if I accomplish the list, I accomplish something. I got it done. The list is complete, right? I got through the list. Man, I feel good about my day because I got all the things on my list done. I have a confession to make. I'm terrible at lists. I mean, I'm good at making them. I just don't care after I've made them. My staff really hates me for that. Um, fortunately, they're amazing at getting things done, and so I don't have to be. Um, but, um, but, but some of us, right, we love these lists because we see a list and we go, oh, here's what I have to do. Okay, so uh, first thing on the list is teach them diligently to your children. Got, great, got it. I got that figured out. We're going to come every Sunday, and we're going to put them in children's ministry. Awesome. So that one's taken care of. I've delegated that task out. I know that's getting accomplished. Next thing, talk of them when you sit at your house. Okay, well, that's going to be kind of challenging, so I think what we'll do instead is we'll sit at the dinner table once a week and pray. That's what we'll do. As a fa- like, like we, we take the list and we go, okay, I got to get these things done. So I'm going to figure out how I can modify them and accommodate them to make sure I get them done. But that wasn't the point. The point of these things, if you look at it, what is Moses trying to do here? He's trying to convince them that they need to create a rhythm. Impress these things on your children. Talk about it when you wake up. Talk about it when you go to bed. Talk about it when you're on the road. Talk about it when you sit at home. Write it on your door frames, on the post, so that you see it as you come in and out of your house. Make it a rhythm as a part of your life. Guys, we know the value of this. So the first thing we got to do here is, is understand that we are to create a rhythm. We've got to create a rhythm. If God's going to be immersive in everything that we do, if it's going to be part of our whole lives, then we have to create a rhythm. And anybody who's ever gone to the gym consistently knows the value of this. I tried to go to the gym. Didn't work out. We have a love-hate relationship. I love to hate the gym. But look, when I was consistent, it was because I went at the same time every day. It was part of my routine. It was part of my rhythm. And and that is when I can actually make those things happen. Uh, My family will eat healthy if we're eating on schedule, if we have a plan, if we have a rhythm. If we don't have a rhythm, it's Pizza Hut and McDonald's, right? This is how life works. We have a rhythm, and so we create a rhythm. What Moses is saying is to create this rhythm. We'll get into that in just a little bit more, but this is core to what we do in family discipleship ministry. But, but before we jump into what that rhythm looks like and how we create those rhythms, I, I want you to see something else. If we can go to the next slide and pull up this verse again, uh, verse 7 through 9. Moses is telling them, right, the whole congregation is gathered. This is all the Israelites. It's not just the parents. It's not just the families. It's everybody in the congregation. And the first thing he says is, teach them diligently to your children. 
it seems like maybe Moses is making this a bigger deal than everything else on the list. Now, why would that be true? Why might that be? Well, we know today from different studies and and child psychology and developmental uh, science, what we know today is that it's hugely important to impress on a child the things that you want them to know, the things that you want them to be, what you want them to believe when they are a child. See, in other words, kids matter. Moses is reminding them that kids matter. And and that kids matter in in a huge way. That they're really, really important. And Jesus believed this too. It wasn't just Moses. It wasn't just the Israelites. Jesus believed this as well. What Jesus said about kids in Matthew 18 is this. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. In other words, how you treat kids is how you treat me. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Kids were a big deal to Jesus. And I think maybe the reason is that Jesus knew something that we've missed. Something that maybe we've forgotten. Something that that maybe we weren't aware of. But science is now coming and backing this up. I want to show you this quote uh, from a textbook on child psychology. Uh, This is from a Harvard study referenced in Wiley's Handbook of Child Psychology and Developmental Science. This is what it says. The intuitive understandings of the supernatural formed in childhood are not diminished with the presentation of scientific evidence in adulthood. Now, those are really, really big college words, so I'm going to break it down because I'm a simple guy. What this means is that if you teach a kid when they're a kid that there's a God and that miracles happen and that God loves them and that no matter what, they can't be separated from God, if you teach them that when they are a child, if you impress that on them when they are a child, when they become an adult... And scientific evidence is presented to them that says there is no God, that says God doesn't really love you, that God doesn't really care. Those scientific evidence will not diminish their core belief that there is a God. That's what this means. That's what it means. That the core understandings of the supernatural, of who God is, of what God wants, those things impressed on a child when they are a child will not be diminished, will not be separated, will not be taken away from their core identity. In fact, they will actually learn how to resolve those things in their minds, understand how to resolve the scientific evidence and what they believe about God and the supernatural. This is hugely important because our kids will face difficult things. As adults, we face hard, hard things. And sometimes the scientific evidence says, where's God? What's going on here? But it's hugely important that we create these beliefs in them when they are so pliable and so moldable. There's another reason that kids matter. It's this, a 2004 study indicates that nearly half of all Americans who will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, nearly half of all the Americans who will accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, will do so before the age of 13. Now, this was a 2004 study, but I want to tell you the note on this study. The note is that in the 20 years prior to this, these numbers have not changed by more than 3%. Okay? They're consistent. Nearly half will accept Jesus before they turn 13. Two-thirds of born-again Christians, almost 64%, will make that commitment before their 18th birthday. Two-thirds before they become an adult. 
less than one in four Christians embrace Christ after their 21st birthday. Now, here's a caveat. God can save. (laughs) Jesus saves. And Jesus is not bound by statistics, all right? So parents, if you have a child who's over 21 and you're concerned about them, grandparents, you have a child who's over 21 and you're concerned about them and you're going, oh no, the statistics are working against me. Yet the statistics are against you, but God is for you. So Jesus isn't bound by the statistics, but here's what we can learn from these things. We have an incredible opportunity before their 18th birthday to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus. And we are likely, more likely to be successful in that season than we are in the season that follows. Kids matter. Now, you might be asking, well, what is it then? What, what does it? What, what is it that convinces these kids to follow Jesus? What is it that convinces these kids to give their lives to Christ at, at this young age? And you might be thinking it's because we have amazing pastors and amazing programs and amazing, amazing youth groups, right? And we do all this stuff to invest in these kids and amazing uh, things like, like last night we had Jingle Jam, right? And we, uh, Not last night, Friday night we had Jingle Jam. It's all running together, I'm sorry. Um, we had Jingle Jam and we had 400 people here with their kids. This amazing program that we put on for kids. And you may think it's because we do all of those things, but here's what the research shows. Among people who accepted Christ between the ages of 13 and 21, three out of five credited who? Their parents. Three out of five credited their parents. If you talk to a teenager candidly today, they will tell you, most teenagers will tell you that the most influential person in their life is their parents. The next one is, is not even close. One in five credited a friend, a close personal friend. And one in five were called a major life event as a trigger, like an outreach or, or an event coming to a youth group, that kind of thing. And, and so those things do work. Those things do bring people to Christ. But, but far and above, the most influential is the parent. The parent. So that tells me, as a family discipleship pastor, here's what that tells me. Kids matter. And we want to reach kids while they're still kids. And and not only do we want to reach kids because it's the most opportune time, but but let's be honest, guys. How many of us knew about God growing up? We we grew up in the church, and then somehow in our teenage years, we said, you know what? I'm not really sure about that. I'm going to go explore the world, and we regret that decision. I mean, I'm among you. I walked away for a season and came back. Praise the Lord, he called me back. That was a rough season. I don't want that for my kids. This is the testimony I want for my kids. I met Jesus when I was young, and I followed him for my whole life. Isn't that the testimony we want for our kids? Of course it is. So, so kids matter. But here's the thing. If this is true, and it is, Barna is a very reputable statistic organization. They do very, very good research. And since this is true, what it means is that if I believe kids matter, I have to believe parents matter. Parents matter. More than youth pastors, more than children's pastors, more than programs. Parents matter. Parents matter. The Apostle Paul gave this instruction in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll get there eventually as we're studying Ephesians. But he said this in chapter 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents matter. Jesus knew parents matter. 
Statistics show that parents matter. So here's the deal, guys. We know, we believe parents are the primary influencers in a child's faith. And what we are trying to do in family discipleship ministry is create a a, a system, a partnership. What we're trying to do is create a partnership where we as the church have come alongside you parents, you grandparents, you aunts and uncles, you cousins, you family members, where we come alongside you and equip you and help you and walk with you together to help your kids to know Jesus. It's a partnership that we've entered into. And this makes sense. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, when Moses was giving this instruction, he gave it not just to the parents, not just to the families, but the entire congregation. And when he says, train up your children, he's saying, train up the children of Israel. So what I say to you is, train up the children of Pikes Peak Christian Church. It's not just the parents. Although the parents are key and primary responsibility, it's not just them. It is all of us to help these kids to know God and have a relationship with them for their whole lives. Now listen, parents, we want to partner with you. We want to come alongside you because it is not easy. Any, any parent who has got it all figured out and it knows exactly how to get their kids to believe in God and stay in that relationship for the rest of their lives, would you raise your hand because I want to talk to you. If you've got it figured out, let's, let's chat. It's tough. It's hard. And it's not as simple as follow steps A, B, C, and D. It's, it's messy, and it gets ugly, and we know that. And depending on what happened to you when you were a kid, you may not actually be equipped to do it well. You may need help in some areas. There may be some things about you that are, that are difficult. It wasn't modeled for you. You don't know what it's supposed to look like. You don't know how to do this. Here's the thing, guys. We know that it's hard. That's why we exist, is to partner with you, to help equip you. It's why we do things like parent-baby dedication. Parent-baby dedication isn't just a ceremony here. When we do dedications, we pull parents in, and we do some training and some equipping and some talking to them about child development. And we do some talking about how God moves in different seasons of their life, and we give them some really key things to focus on in a certain season and key expectations to have in, in certain seasons because we want parents to be equipped to parent well in every season of life. We have a parenting class. It's called Positive Solutions for Families. I love this class. It's amazing. Uh, really, really great strategies. If you find yourself yelling at your kids more often than you're hugging them, this class is for you. It will help you switch that ratio. I'm not judging you. I, I am that parent. My kids will tell you that I have been that parent, okay? But I'm telling you, we need new strategies. We need new education. We need to be equipped. And so we have these classes to equip parents for this. We do things like Jingle Jam to give parents and kids an opportunity to explore faith together at the same time, all in the same room, making a mess with hot chocolate, with marshmallows and cookies and crafts, and it's crazy and it's messy and it's ugly and it's beautiful because parents and kids are exploring that together. And the core thing we do for kids and the core thing that we do for parents is we've created what we call children's ministry. And every Sunday at the 9 o'clock and the 9.15 and 11 o'clock services, we have volunteers who genuinely love Jesus and who genuinely love your kids, who are willing not to watch them while you come to service. That's not what we do. Don't let anyone ever tell you that we do child care for you. We do not do child care in this church. We minister to children. Our volunteers in the nursery are trained to pray with your children, to play worship music with them. 
because we're introducing them to the love that God has for them, even as infants. All the way up through our elementary stages, what we're doing all the way through our middle school and high school, the core of what we do is we introduce these kids to other adults who love God and who love them. Because kids need more influence than just their parents. We know this. We know that relational discipleship is key. It's huge. It's so incredibly important that they have people in their lives who will walk with them as they walk with Jesus. That's what we do. That's how we've partnered with you, with your kids, with our students, to help them to know God, to help parents, better parents. We're in this with you. Now, looking back at this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the other things that Moses says here is that we are to talk about these things when we sit uh, at home and when we walk along the way, when we lie down, when we rise. Right? We're supposed to be uh, communicating these things. We're supposed to be thinking about them and talking about them. There, there's something implied in here. It, it's really hard, although some of us are good at it, uh, to have a conversation by yourself. I mean, I can do it. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> but really... The implication here is that you're not doing this on your own. The, 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 the lie, one of the greatest lies I think that the enemy has convinced the church of is that you and Jesus is enough. It's not. It was never meant to be you and Jesus. It was meant to be Jesus and his bride, the church, the body of Christ, all of us together, moving forward in our, yes, there's a personal relationship. Yes, there's an individual relationship with God, but we weren't meant to do it on our own. This passage implies that in these rhythms, there are relationships, there are people who are moving us forward. Guys, this is what we found in kids' ministry and student ministry, that the critical piece of helping kids to know God is putting them in relationships with adults who know God. You know what the key piece for adults is? It's the same thing. A year ago, a year and a half ago, Pastor Darren and I sat down and we go, what do we do for adults? We're in this transition. How do, how, do we, how do we minister to adults? How do we help disciple adults? And we took a look at what was going on and we took a look at what God has said and, and the things that have been successful. And what we realized is that relational discipleship works. This is what Jesus did. He gathered 12 people and he walked with them for three years, showing them everything that he knew engaging with them on the road when they sat down, when they lied down, showing them who God was, impressing faith on them through relationships. Guys, adults matter. Yes, kids matter. Yes, parents matter. But guys, adults matter. Of course they do. Jesus says he doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all would come to know him. He's patient, waiting for us to come to him. He calls us sons and daughters of God. Yes, adults matter. But the way that we engage adults is the same way that we engage kids. We create these programs, these systems, to help you create rhythms. Why do you think we do Sunday every single week? To help create a rhythm to come together to worship on the Lord's Day, to remember what happened on that Easter Sunday so many years ago. The reason we do this every week is to create that rhythm. The reason that we have life groups meeting in homes is to create that rhythm where God is now coming out of the church and into your home, into your relationships, into your friendships. The reason we do Bible studies is for the same reason. All of it is to help you create that rhythm. And the reason that we center it around small group leaders and volunteers is because you need, I need, we need each other. 
We need to see what God is doing in each other's lives. We need to see the perspective of, of man, what is God doing over here? How, how, what can I learn about him? What can I see about him that's new, that's true, that I didn't know before? How can I encourage somebody else with my story, with what, God, what God's doing in my life? We need relational discipleship. And I'll be honest with you. It's easier to compartmentalize. It's a lot easier. I have my church life, and I have my work life, and I have my home life, and I have my party life. And they're all separate, and they don't touch. And I just get to be whoever I want to be in a different season. It doesn't work. Because our lives aren't actually compartmentalized. What we do on Friday affects who we are on Monday what we do on Sunday can affect and should affect who we are in the office on Tuesday. They should be connected and they have to be connected. Guys, there is a war being waged for your heart. And the enemy is thrilled to have you put God in a box over here and leave him in his little compartment over here because now you're completely open to being attacked in every other area of your life, and he will come at you in all of those places. There's a battle. And the only way that we win the battle is to be completely surrendered to Jesus. Every aspect of our life, every part of our life. Every life matters. Kids matter, parents matter, adults matter. And the point of all of this is to help more people, more often, say yes to God, to surrender, to live for him in every aspect of our lives.